Hello, I'm Philip Brain. And I'm Harry Clennon. And you're listening to Bird's Eye by Spectacles. Welcome. If this is your first time listening to Spectacles, or Bird's Eye in particular, take a listen to the show trailer here in your podcast app or on our website at spectacles.news to learn more about what Spectacles is, what we believe, and what you can expect from this show and our other shows, Insight and Focus. Last episode, we discussed the political spectrum and the myriad complications that arise when trying to map out political beliefs. One issue that we found that arises from those complications is the shortcomings of the two-party system and its inability to capture the vast array of differences and complications in politics and in political positions. Mm So when it comes to how to represent these political differences and ideas, it's important to remember that democracy can be realized in multiple ways with different methods of representation. So on that note, Harry, why don't you lay out what we're going to be talking about in this episode a little bit? Yeah, sure. And Philip, I just wanted to say that the way you delivered the introduction there was excellent you're just killing it today you've my got i i swear you're just killing it if jesus <laughs> all right all right all right all right, all right. <laughs> you, all right. Uh, this is what i have to deal with every day this is the man i work with just yeah. so you can all get a little bit of an idea of, of understanding the pain he puts me through on a daily basis all right philip you're distracting our audience <laughs> okay um so what we're going to be dealing with today is the question of what is a two-party system what is a multi-party system, sort of the opposite of the two-party system? How do both systems function? How do they develop? The opposite of a two-party system is a no-party system. Or a one-party system. I don't like that Let's roll that back. (laughs) (laughs) Let's roll that back. So how do these two systems function? How do they develop? What are their advantages and disadvantages? And particularly, what have we seen in the United States and the two-party system in the United States? And there I want to just, quick disclaimer, we're really talking here about how legislatures are elected. So like Congress, the House of Representatives or the Senate, not executives. There's another difference in in democratic systems, presidential systems versus parliamentary systems. And we'll sort of touch on those things kind of tangentially here maybe a little bit and they are related but the focus here is going to be the methods for electing legislatures and how parties manifest in different legislative systems and so i think the first thing we're going to talk about here is just you know quickly discuss the features of the two-party system how it works how you know um, how you get it and um, yeah philip i think you wanted to talk about that yeah i think one last thing to say before we continue there's a really good quote from david horowitz who is a political scientist from university of duke duke university yep and he has he has a article from some years ago about electoral systems since that's what we're really talking about two-party and multi-party electoral systems today He says, as he sort of, before he gets into his diagnosis of the impacts of these two systems, he says, miracles do not follow from changes of electoral systems. No one should expect more than incremental changes in behavioral patterns once the configuration of electoral incentives is altered. But sometimes increments of change can be surpassingly important. So that's just setting the tone sometimes we are going to talk about 
of course, advantages and disadvantages. But sometimes there's a tendency when people discuss two-party and multi-party systems to come down really hard on one side or another, mm -hmm. that one thing is really bad and the other thing fixes all of our problems. And we don't necessarily want to leave you, the listener, with any idea that politics can be fixed by one simple change, right? It's more complicated. So there are advantages, but that's a good note from Horowitz that we can gain some 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 big political impact, but it's not a miracle drug. Yeah. Anyways, that said, so two-party system, how does it come about? What, what the hell is it? Well, you're probably familiar with it if you're an American listening to this, which most of our audience is. A two-party system is a system in which two different parties compete for political power. It's generally, as a result, going to manifest as adversarial and oppositional politics because it's really principally one side against the other. The way it works is one party's going to, at some point, one party must acquire a majority when when there's only two. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't have two minority parties in a two-party system. And obviously this could be in one chamber of parliament like you see in the UK, or it could have two chambers and a separate executive, much more complicated like you see in the US. We're mostly going to be talking about legislatures here, as we said, not, not the executive, but that's essentially how it works. The largest influence on party systems and whether you get a two-party or a multi-party system I mean, there's nothing in the Constitution that says the U.S. shall have a two-party system. Right. In fact, the founders hated the idea of a two-party system developing. But they might have miscalculated a little bit because, a the, bit. because the electoral system they created is what shaped the two-party system. And mm -hmm. that's how these different party systems come about. Because in America, we have first-past-the-post, single-member district plurality voting. What does that mean? It means basically that... A single member district is a single defined territory or district in which candidates compete for office and the winner is the person with the most votes. They don't need to win a majority. They just need to win the most. Mm -hmm. Now, in that situation, that's going to tend toward two parties fighting head to head because what you're going to need to do in that situation is you want to get as much of the vote as possible, mm -hmm. right? And so that's going to tend to produce two major parties because people who are running for office or, or the, these parties are going to want to run one person each, right, in these districts. And it's not going to be a hospitable situation for third parties to enter, right? Because... Once you have two parties that emerge, they're going to dominate it because they are the best equipped to acquire larger vote shares. So a third party is going to have a lot of trouble coming in there. I mean, there are in some cases, right, there are smaller third parties. The United States doesn't really have competitive third parties. Some like the UK does have somewhat competitive third parties. Those can be regionally based or like the Scottish National Party or Northern Irish parties. But the UK, they're smaller parties. The UK also part of that is probably has to do with how many people there are relative to each seat in parliament. It's true. It's which different. is way, 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 way lower. Yeah, way if we had the same number of seats per people that the UK has in their parliament, in our Congress, I think we'd have like 3,000 
seats in Congress. Yeah. So that gives you an idea of the scale of just just how fewer people there are per seat, which allows for these smaller uh, parties right. that cater to smaller right. interests. It's yeah. harder in the U.S. Yeah. So... The trouble with this system is, or one of the troubles is that first past the post voting this, whoever gets the most vote, regardless of whether they get a majority, gets the whole whole thing, you get the whole seat, right? Is that it frequently delivers what we would call disproportional majorities. So take a bunch of these single member districts. Say you have a ton of them. Take the House of Representatives. Yeah, the House of Representatives, 435 single-member districts spread out across the United States. The way this works is that, imagine hypothetically, Republicans or Democrats, one party wins 51%, like I said, it doesn't have to be a majority, but just say 51% in every single one of the 435 districts. Because votes are sort of localized, to each district in which whoever has the most votes takes the whole pie, and then there are 435 pies, that means that if you won 51% of the vote in all 435 districts, you would get 51% of the vote overall in the country, but hold 100% of the country's legislative seats. Right. And to be clear, that would never happen. No, but of course, not. it's the it's the most clear explanation of how that can work. You can win a bare majority. But in fact, let's say there was like a Green Party that ran in every single seat that got 2% of the vote. Theoretically, one of the major two major parties could win. I don't know, you know, just or say they got 3%. One of the major parties without getting too complicated, win 49% of the vote, 48% of the vote and 3% of the vote across every single congressional district. And you would win the entirety of, of the United States House of Representatives without winning a majority yeah. in any particular seat. And a more realistic example, one that we're actually seeing in the U.S. today, is you can win, you know, basically a, a concentrated set of favorable districts drawn favorably mm -hmm. by hair margins mm -hmm. in many cases, and then come out with less with a with a say like 40 percent overall national vote mm -hmm. for your party and have a majority in the legislature actually a fun example of this is in the canadian elections which just happened for the no good reason there's no reason for those elections to happen in the canadian elections which just happened the liberal party won the most seats um in canada in canada's house of commons but actually got fewer raw votes nationally than the Canadian Conservative Party. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so that actually happens. happened last. I think that also happened in the last Canadian election as well, because the results were basically the same both times. Anyway, there's that election didn't actually need to happen. It shouldn't have happened. But it it shows you that this that the way the system works produces can have the tendency to produce produce disproportionate results and yeah. that can be a problem maybe there's some advantages and we'll talk about that later but that should illustrate for you so so yeah that's enough about two-party systems harry walk us through what what's a multi-party system how does it come about yeah so in this situation in a multi-party system parties um pol political parties exist but there's multiple political parties competing for power that do not necessarily expect to win an outright majority of seats. They might, 
um, but they don't expect to win an outright majority of seats. And they frequently, not just frequently, but usually need to govern in a coalition with smaller parties. So meaning like a partnership between some number of parties and they all assign each other different, you know, like ministerial positions or something like that. And they govern in a coalition with each other. And they form the majority together and then they say, we're going to govern. We're going to be the party, the majority party or the majority coalition that's Uh, going to govern. And that tends to be less adversarial because parties are always potentially going to be governing in partnership, right? This is decided after the election. The coalition is negotiated after the election. And if you read Philip's insight from Friday yesterday that's gonna that's about the german elections and so they're gonna have these elections there's gonna be we don't know what the exact percentage of who's gonna each vote that everyone's gonna get and then after the election they're gonna go through the process of forming a coalition that constitutes a majority of seats in the parliament to pass legislation and so in that situation partnership negotiation compromise is necessary and so for individual voters it might be less adversarial for the parties themselves it might be less adversarial because you don't know after the election who's going to be on your team, right? I mean, you have to wait and see how the election plays out first and then see what coalition is viable and what coalition isn't viable. And in that situation, electoral systems are also very influential. There are a couple ways to get multiple viable parties in a party system, but the most viable way tends to be what we would call proportional representation. And this system is not the same across all countries that have proportional representation systems, but it usually involves voting for a political party, either in a subnational district with multiple members or in one large national district, rather than voting for a specific candidate, right? So what that subnational multiple member district, because that might be kind of confusing, what that means is that instead of the country being divided up into a bunch of single member districts where the winner takes all, Mm -hmm. they're divided up into a number of multi-member districts where the winners are determined proportionally to the vote yeah so like you could have you could have a district of 10 that that sends 10 members Mm -hmm. to congress and if one party gets 60 percent of the vote and the other party gets 40 percent of the vote and of course you wouldn't have two parties because now there's an opportunity you for say a small six, party. three and one, right? Yeah. There's an opportunity for one. Yeah. If, if one party gets 60, another gets 30, and another party gets 10, you get six, three, one seats. Right. Sent exactly. to the legislature. Or you can do it across the whole legislature or across the whole uh, country. Say there's 100 seats in the legislature. Where all the seats are determined right. proportionally. And if it's six, three, and 10, it would be 60%, 30%, and 10%. You can do it in yeah. different ways. Either way, right? Citizens vote for a party or they vote for a list of candidates under the umbrella of a party. And proportional representation fundamentally tends, as the name suggests, uh, to produce results that are much more in line with popular vote, as we just described, which means that you're not going to get maybe the same issue that emerges in first past the post systems where you could get those kind of wildly disproportionate results. They're not always perfectly proportional, but they're way more proportional. Yeah. And so that maybe that, you know, multi-party system helps shed some light on the issues that we've sort of identified with the two-party system, reasons why it might not be working in the U.S., but sort of just generally the two-party system has some has some problems. One is what we mentioned, right, is this disproportional or what we might call manufactured majorities when parties can win uh, a majority in the legislature without necessarily winning a majority of the popular vote. That can be mutually reinforcing with maybe some latent authoritarian tendencies in one party. And we'll talk about the, the specific case of the United States in a second. But if a party realizes that it is to its advantage to stymie popular. Right. Or just that if it can, if a party realizes that it can win 
without necessarily having to win the most votes and just can target certain districts in the right way or draw districts in a certain way that allows it to win the most votes. It doesn't, democracy it becomes pro- less important to that party. It, it provides incentives to try to organize the system in the districts such that the popular will or the popular vote is less realized in electoral results. Yeah, yeah, basically. That makes sense. And the other problem is that the adversarial nature of two party systems, right, which is going to happen when you have when it's all when it's sort of zero sum winner take all politics that can have deleterious effects, especially right when polarization gets gets very bad, right? We have this notion that in two party systems that the parties will sort of compete for the median voter and thus tend to converge on some sort of center, but that doesn't always hold up well. First of all, right. If you listen to our last episode, you you know maybe have some understanding of all these difficulties of mapping out the political spectrum. Ha- makes it hard to figure out what exactly the center is per se, and obviously because of the importance of turnout in elections, it might be easier to win elections by sort of revving up your your party's base, your most ideological supporters, rather than like converging on some center. So what is the center, yeah. and is the in, is the incentive really to go to it if it even exists properly? Yeah, and I think those are the two sort of general problems with the two-party system. But in America, we see some particular interesting failures at work. So... First of all, that adversarial nature of a two-party system, as Harry noted, becomes increasingly unworkable when polarization reaches a really high extent, as it has in America. That might seem like kind of a feedback loop statement because polarization gets bad and so it becomes more adversarial and adversarial doesn't work because it's more polarized. But the way that works essentially is that In a two-party system, because all you've got are two options, you're generally going to end up choosing a side. And because there are only two options, every time you vote for a party, and this is, we discussed this a little bit in the last episode, but just to flesh it out a little bit. Every time you vote for your party of preference, you're also voting directly against the other party. Mm-hmm. That's where this adversarial nature comes in. And it helps to worsen polarization because it feeds into this idea that one team is good, one team is bad. It might not work exactly that way in a multi-party system. And that feeds polarization and it also feeds, as Harry pointed out, the potential for authoritarian or anti-democratic tendencies. Mm-hmm. Because once if that sort of mentality in politics becomes mature and society becomes increasingly sorted into two camps who are against each other at all times, it feeds into the idea or the inclination to disenfranchise the opponent. That it's too risky to allow them to hold power. Right. Because every time I vote, I'm voting against them. And every time they win, it's at cost to me directly Mm -hmm. and so there becomes it can contribute to a feeling that we'd be better off basically disenfranchising that side so it's not it's not conducive to a reverence for democracy because really what it's conducive to a reverence for your team yeah and so that can that that obviously is at odds with a reverence for democracy 
The other problem is that anti-democratic forces can capture one of the two parties. For example, if you, and this is possible, especially because as we said in the last episode in a two-party system, it's really impossible to really come up with a coherent, comprehensive narrative about politics just from one side or the other, because there are too many complicating factors. So as I said in the last episode, you end up picking a party based on one or two reasons usually, but then over time, you're just going to identify it as your team Mm -hmm. rather than certain substantive commitments that the party makes. And over time, that party might shift in one direction or another, and it might no longer embody those ideas. So either you just stick with it no matter what, or you move, but usually people are going to stick with it no matter what because it's their team. And that allows bad actors to essentially capture a party and take an anti-democratic turn without really electoral consequences. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be punished for it because people are just going to keep voting for you. So those are sort of the two major failures that we've seen in the U.S. with particularly the anti-democratic capture we've seen particularly in the Republican Party, which essentially has focused on since Richard Nixon, really, but increasingly in the past decade and a half on being the party of white America. And in the U.S., demographic change is threatening the opportunity for an all-white party to continue winning a majority in free and fair elections because that constituency is shrinking relative to the rest of the population of the country. And so that says, basically, that to stay in power, you're going to have to dismantle free and fair elections. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's untenable. To be clear... I don't think we're saying that, I mean, I, I, you know, I, 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 we're not saying that like all Republican voters are inherently racist, but that there has been, and of course the Democratic Party has its own history with this, but that the Republican Party is not, has appealed to racist sentiments latent within certain portions of the American population. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe there's an opportunity for multi-party systems to provide some solutions to these problems. Yeah, I mean, I think that it presents, at least in abstract, some sort of theoretical solutions to the problem, or at least maybe the same problems are not quite as present, although it's important to note that the multi-party democracies of Europe are struggling with immigration as well. So that's important. But, you know, I think there is generally a sense within, between in terms of political competition, a stronger presence or a more robust pluralism and tolerance, right? Citizens become habituated, let's say, to become more tolerant of other parties and other citizens who subscribe to other parties, because it's always a possibility that parties are going to be working together to govern, right? So it's not just, you know, one other team. And let's say, for example, you grow dissatisfied with the way that your party is the the policy platform that your party has adopted or something like that. There's probably some relatively adjacent party that you could maybe turn to, which is, is perhaps more in line with what you think if you're if you feel like your party has gone in the wrong direction. It's not like you just have to go to some other polarized adversarial option. 
Right, right. Whereas you don't have really any options to move in a two party in system. In a two party system. Yeah. And so these sort of these are these are sort of constraints that are that exist on individuals. They don't have the ability to go like full on war because our you know, sort of declare war between parties, which is effectively what's happened in the US, because you know, the parties are sort of an frequently interlocking and, and opposed here and agreeing here and in coalition here and opposition there over a period of decades, such that, you know, there's no time to develop the like kind of fierce opposition that we see in the United States. So that's one, I think, advantage. The other one is that there's a something of a limit on anti-democratic actors and parties. And there's a little bit of a paradox to that, which we're going to explore later. But for now, just to say that if there is an anti-democratic party that emerges, or if one of the multiple parties is taken over by anti-democratic forces, pro-democratic parties have no obligation to enter into a coalition with them. And that is what has happened in Europe. Europe has seen the emergence over the past couple decades of right-wing populist parties or far-right parties. And barring exceptions in Hungary and Poland, the proportional representation multi-party systems of Western and Northern Europe in particular have been able to essentially say, make agreements between all the other parties in parliament, we're not going to join in coalition with um with, for example, the AFD in Germany, which is a right nationalist party in Germany. The AFD, no one's going to join a coalition with the AFD unless somehow I'm horribly wrong and on Monday I wake up and someone somehow the, <laughs> the AFD, ends up, AFD ends up in coalition with some German party. I don't think that's going to happen. But that's been true of the Netherlands. It's been true of Germany. It's been true of Norway um, and Sweden. In the past, I think maybe in, in previous decades when there might have been some coalitions with, with right populist parties, but the threat has, emer- has, has grown to the point that they now refuse to non-right populist parties refuse to enter into a coalition with right populist parties yeah and the flip side to that is smaller parties smaller anti-democratic parties as long as the democracy is functioning functioning reasonably well there won't be a huge contingent of people who want to get rid of democracy is that those smaller parties the smaller anti-democratic parties can enter the legislature even with a small amount of support because it's proportionally representative. So right. if you say there's 20% of people who would vote for a far-right anti-democratic party or far-left anti-democratic party, you can still enter the legislature with 20% of the seats. And even if nobody enters into coalition with you, it can make it difficult for the legislature to function. And right. also, over time... Harry talked about how these major parties have, in many countries have said, you know, we're not going to go into coalition with these anti-democratic parties. But over time, the presence of an anti-democratic party in the legislature can legitimize it, its behavior and its philosophies. And in the collective memory, it can be forgotten. Their danger can be forgotten. Right. You know, so that's that's one of the dangers. Also in a multi-party system, there are some real issues with efficiency. In a multi-party system, because you've got to form coalitions, sometimes the formation of a coalition takes a long time. In Europe, increasingly, these multi-party systems are experiencing some really long lag times between elections and the formation of coalitions. That That's a real trouble for legislative efficiency and activity. That also dovetails with the issue of far-right parties, for example, because if a far-right party 
has 15% of seats in the legislature, for example, that is actually going to make it more difficult to cobble together a majority among the other right. parties. So those right. two issues are, are interrelated, particularly in Europe right now. I think you can, yeah. you can see that. Yeah. And also, there are some real accountability problems for multi-party systems. Because one, it's hard to hold individuals accountable because you vote for a party and then the party gen- usually determines, you know, the, the, who's on the list and who gets seats yeah. in what order. So it's hard to hold specific elected individuals accountable. That tends to be less important because individuals in a multi-party system, individual legislators tend to have less influence and power right. because it's such a party oriented system usually it's just it comes from above and whatever the party says it's going to do there aren't really many legislators who are going to cause trouble for that like we've seen in the u.s with people like joe manchin and kirsten cinema who the democratic party by and large says they're going to do one thing but individual legislators have the power and a separate voter base right. from the party right. to defy the party yeah so you don't really see that so it's not a huge deal but it can matter it can matter The bigger problem really is that when you have these coalitions, it can be hard to tell which party is responsible for certain things, who to hold accountable, because you can basically get, uh, say you have a coalition of three parties in Germany, which is likely to happen, and they have trouble agreeing on what to do, and so things don't get done or what gets done doesn't work out well, it can be hard to tell who's to blame. Right. And each party is probably going to blame the other for any problems that come about or for any inaction from the legislature. They're going to say they're being stubborn or it was actually their idea to do this thing. And they are the one that have caused problems. So these are some of the sort of disadvantages of a multi-party system. And maybe a two-party system has some solutions to these problems. Yeah. I mean, I think, right, we're seeing it's not cut and dry favor one or the other, you know, the two-party system might have some things going for it, right? For example, you, when you go to the polls um, to vote in the United States or in the UK, you vote for a party and you can sort of reasonably expect that if they win the majority, you'll see some progress on a personal desired political or policy goal. You're not going to experience a large, a long, you know, coalition formation process. It's worth pointing out that in the United States, because power is is so diffuse across two co-equal legislative chambers and this independently elected executive, the president, that's harder to do because there's more veto points in the system. But for example, in the UK, which really has, you know, all of the locus of power is in the House of Commons, which which selects the prime minister out of that. You can expect that, you know, the policies that you voted for are more likely to get done relatively simply and very and very quickly. The UK electoral system is, is pretty efficient in that respect. So in some ways, right, whereas with if with uh, a multi-party system, say you vote for a party and then they end up in coalition with a party that disagrees with them on your pet issue, you might not get to see your personal pet issue sort of realize there any progress on that issue. Um, in a two-party system, you can more reasonably expect to see that because the party you voted for has a platform and their incentive is to you know, execute that platform when they're in office. 
The other thing is that these two-party systems, one possibility is that the parties have incentives to fold a lot of different groups of people sort of into their tent, right? People talk about the Democratic Party as a big tent party. And maybe that has some effects in terms of inducing social cohesion, right? You give shared identities to people. They are, you know, they identify with a political party. So even if I am from a different state or I have a different background than someone else um, in the Democratic Party, we're both Democrats, right? Maybe that, maybe that has some you know, beneficial social effects. Right. Obviously, that has not been super effective for the Republican Party, which tends to be less diverse. So that's not a given, but it could be a positive effect of a two-party system. So you see, I think that what you have here, you've got your two-party system, you've got your multi-party system. And it's not cut and dry, as I said, that one of them is immediately and entirely superior to the other. There are advantages and disadvantages to both. There are trade-offs. The United States, I think, has really experienced some problems with the two-party system recently, yeah. though. And also, it's worth noting that as we talk about this, there are certain ways in which the UK, which is really the, the first two-party democratic system and has been mm -hmm. largely a two-party democratic system since the 1600s. The longest-lived democracy still operating, essentially uninterrupted, have not really experienced so much of the problems that the U.S. has experienced even in a shorter lifespan. And there may be a lot of factors outside of simply the fact that we have a two-party system that have contributed to the U.S.'s struggles right. with democracy. But it also may be the case, as we've highlighted here, we've tried to highlight here, that there are facets of the two-party system specifically which have not operated well within the U.S. So even if it's not blamable on just the the, the fact that it's a two-party system, the two-party system have fe has features that, when dovetailing with American social and historical situations, right, may, ha has contributed to some to some bad effects. Right. And so in that sense, you know, maybe in abstract, it would be better to have, I, at least my personal view, I don't know what yours is, is Philip, I think a, a scenario in which we had some sort of more proportionally accurate system where multiple parties could viably compete for political power would be better in the United States. As, as, as the quote that you mentioned at the beginning, obviously that's not going to change everything, but in terms of dealing with future challenges, it might be significant. Although I think fundamentally we have to confront the fact that the United States is not likely at all to get any kind of a proportional representation multi-party system in the near future. I mean, that is... I think I think that that's fundamentally the case, right? Yeah. 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 So take constitutional amendments. Yeah, and no one expects that to happen. And also, the two parties. Harry, Harry and I sat for a, a good, better part of an hour the other day, gaming out on a whiteboard if there's some way we could expand the legislature and incorporate some some way to make the U.S. legislature more proportional without a constitutional amendment, and. Actually, there there's possibility for it, but by and large, it, it's never it's not going to happen. The two part the two parties are not going to do it. They don't yeah. have any incentive to do it. They have a duopoly, yeah, and they exercise like an iron grip on the system. They don't want to let anyone else in presidential debates. They don't want they don't want that. And and it's also fair to say that that neither of the two other parties, the Libertarian Party and the Green Party in the United States, are serious political parties. I mean, they just are not. Well, they might not be serious political parties because there's you know, it's right. not, a, it's not, not viable. It's not, not an atmosphere viable. for them to collect yeah. right. brain power and money right. to right. be serious. Right. 
But on that subject of the duopoly, next week, we're going to be talking about how can we make the two-party system in America work better here? Because ultimately, that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Right. It's, it's fun and it's interesting and it's, it's useful to understand the way d- democracy can work differently in different places and the different forms of democracy, Super democracy we see in the world, which is what we've gone through here today. Mm-hmm. But as we've said, we're not going to see a multiple part, a multi-party system here, really. Not so likely. the more important question we need to ask is, or the more immediate question we really need to confront in America is how can we fix some of the dangers and drawbacks that we've encountered with the two-party system here at home. And so we have a very special guest who's going to be talking with us, Benjamin Singer, who's the executive director at Show Me Integrity, a Missouri-based voting reform group. And he has a lot to say, a lot of interesting things. Have you ever heard of approval voting? We hadn't. Next week, you'll learn a lot more about it from Benj. And it's, it was a great discussion. So we're looking forward to you hearing it. Yep. So see you then. That's all for today. If you enjoyed, consider subscribing for discussions like these between the editors from Bird's Eye and Reflections. If you'd like to listen to each new article of focus and insight from Spectacles read aloud, there's a link in the show notes for Spectacles Out Loud. If you'd like to make a comment about this episode, there's a link in the show notes to our website, where you'll also be able to subscribe to our newsletter if you haven't already. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks.